0: Um, the good news is um, we'll finish up Galatians 5 1 tonight. Um, uh, but uh, before I get to that, just a, a quick announcement about Gigi. Um, um, we finished up covenant theology last um, uh, Saturday. So this Saturday is Sola Grazia. Now, um, I, I'm, I'm serious when I say to you, if you have not taken the systematics class, I would, I would discourage you from coming. Now, um, that's not to say you can't come. Uh, you're a, a free moral agent. So if you want to come, come on. But you're going you're gonna to be um, drowning in some, um, in some pretty deep theological waters. Uh, that is the, um, the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of soteriology. We'll explain that on Saturday. So that's this Saturday. Sola gratia um, for Gigi. Now, <clears throat> um, I want to read uh, Galatians 5.1 one more time. Uh, I, can, um, I don't know that we should ever get tired of hearing this. But it simply states, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. Oh, brothers, do not submit again to a yoke. I added that part. Um, Yoke of slavery. Um, We spent two weeks, and and I was posing the question, uh, is the Christian freed from moral law law, as a result of this freedom that that I'm reading about? Is the Christian freed from moral law as a... as a guide to obedience? And i tried to answer that in a couple of ways, several ways, uh, all of which say, no, we're not. We're not, um, we're not freed from um, moral law as a guide to obedience. Now, um, I, I want to wrap that up tonight, um, and we'll move on, Lord willing, and, uh, to verse 2 next week. <clears throat> but there's just a couple of things that i i want to uh, do by way of wrap up this evening um and and i have to say that at least once i get into it, it it's 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 primarily pastoral in in um in intent that is um well d- d- just hang in there and cuz i i got to cover one quick thing and then we'll then we'll move elsewhere but um I am pleading with you that as people who belong to Jesus Christ by faith, that the earmark of that relationship is a life of obedience. Okay. Now, how is it that our obedience as Christians differs from the obedience of uh, of the average moralist or the average religious person or the average Mormon, for that matter? How How does our obedience differ? I'm pleading for obedience... They're obedient. Why is ours different? Um, I mean, if, you're, if, you're, um, if you know a good, um, sound religious moralist, they, they, they pretty much outdo us in terms of their obedience. Why is ours different from theirs? And it all, of course, has to do with motive, ladies and gentlemen. Before I became a Christian, if I sought to obey, I sought to obey With the intent of getting something in return. My obedience was self serving. My obedience was manipulative. I sought to uh, do one of two things. I sought to to get God in the position so that he would have to give me something that I want, which we'll just say is heaven. So my obedience, or I obeyed because I wanted to establish a sense of worth somehow. I wanted to be known as a moral guy, or the good guy at the office, or the you know the religious guy, and 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 in seeking to establish my own or seeking to establish a worth an identity, I obeyed all of that obedience as a non Christian, ladies and gentlemen. It might be nice if you're trying to buy a car from me. But it is all self-service. It is all designed to be a self-salvation project. And its motive is purely self-terminating. I am trying to manipulate God. Imagine, ladies, if um, a man asked to marry you and he heard that you were quite wealthy or came from a wealthy family and um, then in the course of planning the wedding, he, he, she told you, or um, you told him that, um, that you were not going to get any of the inheritance, and he called off the wedding. How would you feel about that? I mean, you would know at that point that the only reason that he wanted to marry you is so, so that he could get something from you. Um, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is not love. And that is, um, that is the motive of the moralist. I'm doing this to get something. It's not, it's not, it's not prompted by wanting to glorify the God that you now love. Um, my obedience now is, um, is, is now simply because I'm overcome by the God who I now know. So um, whereas uh, the average bike riding Mormon might make you feel badly about your, your uh, moral accomplishments, just know this, there's nothing more wicked than a, than a morality that is designed to manipulate God to get something from him. It's just like the woman who didn't have the inheritance. I'm I'm just doing this because I'm I want you to give me something, you know. Well, the Christian's obedience is different than that. Um, it is it is it is evoked um, more and more because I'm overcome by who God is and His beauty. Okay, so that's the difference in the in the obedience that I'm calling for and the obedience that you see elsewhere. Now, there are two things that I want to close with. This is a great theme, ladies and gentlemen. Christian liberty, freedom. It's one of my favorites. But is Christian liberty abused? <laughs> oh, you bet it is. Um, it it. It doesn't surprise me when non-Christians do some of the things they do. What's surprising is that we Christians do some of the things that we do. Can this beautiful freedom that is now ours because we belong to Christ, can it be abused? You bet. So there's two things that I want to address. In light of the assumption that we abuse Christian liberty, Will God then punish me? That seems, when somebody is in my office and they have blown it, that's one of the things they want to know. Well, let me, uh, let me hasten to, uh, to answer, no, God will not punish you. Uh, your sin has already been punished and he's not going to punish it twice. Your sin has already been punished in Christ, so he's not going to punish it a second time. The word that you're looking for is not punishment. The word that you're looking for is chastisement. And um, will God chastise his people for having breached uh, moral standards? Oh, you bet he will. Now, you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, that's a, that's a distinction without a difference, punishment and chastisement. Oh, no, that's not, ch- that's, I, I beg to differ. Um, punishment is purely punitive. Chastisement is educational. It's designed to to teach, just like ours as parents is when with our children. So will God punish you? No, he won't. But will he chastise you? Oh, yes, he will. Can I read you this? This is one of the, this is right after David is caught in his affair with Bathsheba. And the prophet Nathan comes to see him. And you know, I, I love this passage because the, the prophet uses a story to reel David in. You remember that? I just love that. I mean, I, I love to tell stories, uh, and stories have a way of, anyway. But that's what the, Nathan, uh, the prophet Nathan does. He uses a story to get David, to bag David. And then once David makes his confession... Then this is what God says to David um, um, after everything's everything's out in public. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. S U N. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Um, are there consequences to the Christian? abusing this wonderful thing known as Christian liberty. Yeah, you bet. You remember Moses. And, and, you know, if you've you've ever read through the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, you know, um, the book of Deuteronomy is kind of a summary of everything that that has happened in Israel. And right at the end, right at the end of the book, uh, the first five, the Torah, right at the end of the Torah, uh, is the the account of Moses' death. And, um, Uh, God takes Moses up on a mountain and says, you can see it, but you can't go in. Chastisement over Moses' sin. Can you expect God to sit idly by and um, while we sin against this glorious freedom that is ours in Christ? No, you cannot. Um, He will... He will use chastisement to humble us. He will use it to um, arouse a slumbering soul that got yourself in the mess, this mess in the first place. And um, it will, the chastising will be used as a deterrent from future sin. Now, I, I want you to kind of bank that word for a minute because I'm going to make a big deal here over a word. And, and uh, you know, i got about 20 minutes left. And um, it's going to take me 15 minutes to, make, to bore you to tears over this, this next point that I want to make. But at the end, it's going to be worth it, I think. So do your best to stay with me. I'll, I'll uh, try to make this fast. But, okay. Are there uh, abuses of Christian liberty? Oh, you bet there are. Will God punish? No, he will chastise. Can I, by my sinful inclinations, by my ch- sinful choices, my high-handed, willful disobediences, can I, as a Christian, sin myself back into bondage? Yes and no. No, you cannot send yourself, a Christian can never, ever become a slave of Satan's again. But, yes, we can send ourselves into a, a partial, a temporary bondage. In that song that Jimmy sang in Psalm 51, one of the lines in Psalm 51 is, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. As a result of my abuses of Christian liberty, um, I, 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 cannot, I cannot sin away my former pardon, but I can sin away my present peace. Such that I, along with David, am crying out for restore the joy to me. So, um, can I send myself into slavery? No. Can I send myself into misery? Yes. Now, guys, um, in the midst of my misery, and if you'll read from 2nd. Samuel 12 on, you know, after this comes to light, and if you'll read the rest of the life of David, I'm telling you, you know, Absalom uh, forms the revolt, and it's a big old ugly mess. His daughter gets raped by one of his sons, and oh, <coughs> pardon me, all because, uh, as a result of this sword that God has dropped on his family. Um, but it doesn't kick him out of the family. The next verse that I didn't read is, um, yes, but your sin has been forgiven, David. You will not die. That is, after this horrible thing that that, uh, Nathan says to him that God is going to do, but he's forgiven your sin, you will not die. Um, It's not that my violations of Christian liberty will get me kicked out of the family, but it can produce... A level of misery that I simply um, I, I simply don't want to have to ever taste. Now, here's the point that I'm going to make, and I'm, here's where I'm going to bore you to tears. But you've got to stay with me a minute, guys. Gang, the Old Testament does not speak of love. Stay with me. The Old Testament speaks of steadfast love. Um, There's a difference. The Old Testament, the Hebrew language has several words that you can translate love, but it only has one. There it is. Chesed. Um, if, if you were going to write it in English, it would be something like this. Um, now, here, here's, the, here's the where I'm really going to... Gang, there's a lot of difference in love and kased, steadfast love. Let me give you an example, and I'm going to show you several examples. And this is where the King James Bible has really done us a disservice. And this is where I first noticed it. Um, everybody in this room has either heard of or knows by heart the 23rd Psalm. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Do you memorize that? That is not what the text says. And every translation that you come to, I mean, if you've got a translation, you ought to look at Psalm 23. Because um, in, in the, um, the ESV, which I'm reading from, um, that, um, that's verse six. And it has the word mercy in it. And then it has a little footnote. At least my Bible does. Because to tell you that surely goodness and mercy will follow you is one thing. And mercy is a great thing. But to tell you that surely goodness and steadfast love will follow you. That's a different thing. And when I have violated the boundaries of Christian liberty to the point that I have Sin and die handedly. The thing that I want to hear about is not mercy. And the thing that I want to hear about is not love either. I want to hear about steadfast love. an enduring love. A long suffering love. Because very frankly, that's what I need right now. I just went way beyond the boundaries of moral Acceptability. And you're telling me there's mercy's gonna fall. Great. <clears throat> I don't need mercy. What I need to know is that God's love is steadfast over somebody who is blown as badly as I have. Gang, I- I'm telling you, um, this, this Hebrew word, kesed is found 124 times in the book of Psalms. It is the word that communicates not so much love, but covenantal love. That once God sets his love on me, he doesn't take it back and if I, if I just had an affair, and you tell me that God has mercy, that's good. That's really good. But what I want to know is have I sinned beyond the boundaries of his love? I want to know that he has said... Let me show you this, because this is, this is so interesting, at least to me. Um, if you can find um, Psalm 136, I could show you examples like this for the rest of the night. But this, well, I think I will show you too. Psalm 136. The term, the Hebrew term kased is found 26 times in this psalm. Well, whoop to doo who cares? All right, if you've got an ESV, I'm reading to you from the ESV. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, there it is, there's said. But if you've got a King James Bible in front of you, the English word that you're gonna find there is mercy. His mercy endures forever. If you've got an NIV Bible, I've got them up here, If you've got an NIV Bible, the word is love. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to, I want to know that God still loves me after I've sinned before Him. I want to know that His love is steadfast, that it's long suffering, that it's not something that He's willing to take away from me after I have violated. The boundaries of Christian liberty. I want somebody to tell me that his steadfast love, not his mercy, that's a wonderful word. I'm not, it's just the wrong word. I want to know that his steadfast love endures forever. Because the thing that I need now is to know that I have not sinned beyond his love. Oh no. Because his love is steadfast. Steadfast. 26 times in one psalm. And two translations, the King James and the NIV, get it wrong both times. twenty-six times. All right. Um, by the way, do you remember? We won't look, but because I want you to see Psalm one hundred three. Go to Psalm one hundred three. Um, um, you remember in the book of Ruth, and um, and and Boaz had been so nice to them, and. Um, and Naomi says to Ruth, and God has remembered, I said. He's not simply loved us, Ruth. He's loved us steadfastly. After all that's happened, after all the water that's gone into the bridge, after all the things that have gone wrong, God's Love for us is a steadfast one. It endures forever. It didn't start and stop. You know, guys, the people of God wrestle with, particularly when they've blown it, have I sinned myself out of the kingdom? And what I want to tell them Is that the love that God has for sinners is not just something that Beyonce sings about? No, 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 no. This is a covenantal love, and it endures completely apart from my performance. It endures because of who he is, not because of who I am and what I've done. Now, you're at Psalm 103, and we've got to hurry. Uh, the, the Hebrew word chesed appears four times in Psalm 103. Um, hold on, I didn't get there. Uh-uh. Um, Verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Now, guys, uh, neither the King James nor the NIV is going to use that word steadfast love there. I think the King James uses mercy, but there's two mercies. Mercy, mercy. I don't know how they do that. Verse 8. Verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in. There it is again. Um, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast. There it is again. Now, but it's in verse 17 that the rubber really meets the road. But the steadfast love of the Lord... It's from everlasting to everlasting. The King James uses the word mercy. Right there. Guys, I don't have anything against mercy. I love mercy. I'm just telling you it's the wrong word. And the thing that the the Old Testament is, is celebrating here is not mercy. It's steadfast love. The NIV has the word love. But it's steadfast love that is from everlasting to everlasting. Now, do Christians violate, do they abuse Christian liberty? Boy, do they ever. Do we ever. And when the Spirit of God so grips your conscience about those violations and you end up in some preacher's office, I hope they will tell you, not about mercy, but about a God who has love that is steadfast, which endures forever. It suffers long with us. And I, for one, am very glad. Now, ladies and gentlemen, not only do I want to tell people who have sinned egregiously about Hesed when you're on your deathbed, I won't be talking to you about mercy. Is God merciful? Sure He is. I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not opposing that. I'm simply saying that the translations have got that wrong. The ESV's got it right. And when I come to your bedside, and you've got minutes to live, I'll be telling you about what like I said that endures for forever. because that's what you're going to need to hear. Now. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, which thing makes sinning against Christian liberty less likely? Telling you about the chastenings or telling you about the steadfast love? You know, guys, I've just let you in on a little ministerial secret of mine. The thing that I want you to know, I want you to know of the chastenings because they're not fun, are they? But the thing that I want you to know more than about the chastenings is about this. Now, you tell me, what wife in this room, tell me. Every wife in this room will tell you that the time that they are most responsible or most responsive to their husband's leadership is when they feel secure, not insecure. Don't tell them about the chastenings. Tell them of chesed. And once a wife is secure in that, you've heard me say it a thousand, 200 times, no woman ever complains about following a man who adores her. Once she's secure, where do we need to go? Now, back to my question. Which thing is going to make violations of Christian liberty less likely? Knowledge of the chastening, you do that and you know your family, yeah, yeah, I tell you, and by the way, that's the truth. Does God chasten his people? You bet he does. Can you lose your joy in, in, in your sin? You bet he, you can. But that's not the, we sin against that all the time. Oh, well, you know, if I, if I do that, I might get in trouble, but you know, okay. But the thing that will make violations of Christian liberty less likely, in my opinion, is knowledge of God said Not just love, not just mercy, but a love that is steadfast and will not throw me out of the family. even though I took Uriah the Hittite's wife and had him murdered. Yes, David, there will be consequences. But one of those consequences is not that I'm kicking you out of the family. And I think God's people need to hear it again and again and again. My brother and sister in Christ, you cannot send yourself back into slavery. Now, you must understand that if you violate those boundaries, there are consequences to doing so. But the thing that you must hear about is that the steadfast love of the Lord endures unto his people forever. He gave it to you, and he's not going to take it back. That is cassette. (laughs) I just love it. Father, I, I do pray that you will thrill your people as you have me over the beauty of your covenantal love to the undeserving, that though we have done stupid things which have led to great pain, and loss of all kinds of joy, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And the thing that we need to hear about is both with the emphasis on chesed. Do that for your people tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.